Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan presents Matt Smith and Chad Andrus. Matt Smith and Chad Andrus on your Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. Coach Reese is off this week. On the RamosLaw.com text line. Quick question. Is the fan going to be out on Wednesday as the rookie training camp begins for the Broncos? Just curious. Keep up the great work. Appreciate that. I don't know. I think things are a little still in flux there with the new order of operations at training camp. So we will all find out along with all of you. Here's another one. Michael Malone hates rookies. They won't play much this year because he hates developing them. Mike from Spokane. I think that's going to have to evolve and change. Because mm. who else are they going to play? Uh, um, if Vlatko plays more, if you tell me that, okay, I'm fine with that. I think he's probably earned that. And I think he probably could have played in the playoffs. Uh, who else are you going to play? Who else is going to play? DeAndre Jordan's not going to play. <laughs> Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday will play. I Absolutely. Agree. I agree. He's, he's, he's going to play player. a lot, yeah, he's but a he's a player. veteran. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have five starters, right? and you have Justin Holiday and Christian Brown. Mm. Who else is going to play? Well, so to address what Mike from Spokane is saying, that Michael Malone hates rookies, doesn't want to develop them. Look, the Nuggets just don't have time, right? But now that they've won, their roster and the way they have to move forward is different. But again, this is what I was mentioning with Calvin Booth and why I am on board with his philosophy. Rookies, typically in the NBA, over the last 15 years, are 19 years old Mm. and don't have a high basketball IQ because they haven't had a lot of experience outside of playing a ton of This isn't Michael Porter Jr. (laughs) Right? Right. These, These are not those guys. Yeah. So they fall outside of that normal criteria of a rookie because they have high basketball IQs and understand how to cut and move and keep their motor running the entire game. So I'm not saying that they're definitely going to play and they're a key part of trying to defend a championship. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying they got a shot and they got a better shot than... You know, they would if it were, um, I don't know, Cam Whitmore. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Again, it's the philosophy where you don't have a ton of cap space. You need to add multiple players, but those guys just don't exist on the free agent market. And maybe some of them did. I would have liked to see Corey Joseph over Reggie Jackson. Me personally, I was banging the drum for that at the deadline, too. But. When you throw the book at the wall like they're doing, at least one of them, you figure you got a pretty good chance one of them's going to find a way to stick. And again, you look at what Hunter Tyson did in Summer League and you go, okay, that's a perfect example of this philosophy potentially working out in your favor in a real way. And then you add Pickett and Strother on top of that. But even to land a guy like that, it, it for an organization that just came off a championship and is already at the top of the mountain to bring in a few guys like this and say, all right, let's see what you can do. You know, I think I think it'll be good because I think it'll infuse some youth back into the team and maybe some more growing pains as a result. But, look, I mean, everything forces you to grow as a team, and I think this is another opportunity for that Denver team. I do. And let's not get it twisted here. 
It's not going to make or break their chances in the postseason with these guys. Right. right. It's not as important their, as health. <laughs> the, their development and where they are with their age, experience, basketball IQ, and the motor they play with. And when I say they, I'm particularly talking about Hunter Tyson and Jalen Pickett. Mm. Strother is more of a, a a talent pick because of the way he can shoot the basketball. Uh, I'm talking about the other two, Pickett and Tyson. What we are talking about here is the ability to get in a game that is focused around Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and the Jokic tide lifting all boats has a better chance for them to ride that wave than someone who doesn't understand how to play. The championship hopes next year and going forward can they be a part of a rotation in that? There's a chance they can be, but it still is dependent on can they function in the Jokic world? Can they get on board and keep that momentum going? I think they can. They have a real good chance of doing that. But the other biggest question, and this has been the question for a long time that you and I and many others have talked about, is can Michael Porter continue to evolve and be better? Like, that is what is going to decide if the Nuggets win more than one championship. Yeah. Not Jalen Pickett or Hunter Tyson. And you certainly hope that those guys become contributors. And if there's a stage in their careers where they both prove vital to the whole operation, then great. And that's like found gold. But at this point, you have to get at least one to stick. And I think they may they may have. Justin Simmons did an interview with SiriusXM NFL Radio. And he had a quote on Russell I thought was interesting. He goes, quote, I know he's one of the hardest workers, if not the hardest worker I've ever been around and that I've seen. His attention to detail, his preparation has already made me a better player being his teammate. And so I'm always going to put my full trust and confidence in him as my quarterback. And I can't wait to see what that looks like heading into year two with us. Okay. You got to say that. You got to throw your full weight behind Russ. And I, and I actually believe. That- <laughs> Unless you're Justin Jefferson. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sorry. But but for but for Simmons in this quote, I think one of Russ's biggest issues last year was his lack of authenticity. Everybody said, look, I mean he's being fake, you know, this it doesn't feel genuine. But being an authentic person, I think there's something to that. And and for all of, you know, maybe his I don't want to say ego, but sure. I'll I'll, I'll use ego, but for all of the ego and the accomplishment that Sean Payton has he's an authentic guy I believe that what you see with him is what you get at least that's the impression that I've gotten from him with Russell I don't know that you can say that and I think for him to really assimilate with this group authenticity is a big part of the theme for this year you asked me if I had watched any of the quarterback series on Netflix yeah and I'll be honest my first reaction when I saw it come on and saw how it was going to be outlined and, and presented. I was shocked that Russell Wilson was not a part of this. I was absolutely shocked. Being in Denver, new team, new start, celebrity wife, Peyton Manning's production company running it in Denver in the tide of the Broncos, I was shocked that his group did not jump on the opportunity to be in that spotlight. I'm and, so glad they didn't. And be 
focused on as part of the program. I, that, that was my first reaction. My first reaction was he would have looked really phony on this last year. That was my first reaction when you compare him to Kirk Cousins, who, gosh, I mean, this this is the most Midwestern boy you've ever seen. I mean, talking about being in therapy. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, it, Russ, Russ would have looked so fake compared to the other two. I'm thrilled for him that that was. And can you imagine another layer of distraction on top of everything last year? What a nightmare. But no, no, no. I, I, I And that was kind of where I'm leading with this. Those two dudes, those three dudes, even Mariota, Mariota's authentic. I mean, Mariota is doesn't care enough not to be authentic, right? But Kirk Cousins, man, I mean, he just comes at you right down the middle. He does. He's just middle America. That's who Kirk Cousins is in a nutshell. Religious dude, you know, nice guy, would give you the shirt off his back, that type of guy. You his know? shirt from Walmart or whatever it's, his wife was talking about. Exactly, exactly. You know, that whole clan out there. But then you got Mahomes and Brittany. And I'll tell you, at the end of the series, I became actually, actually like a Brittany Mahomes fan. She's like a ride or die who sticks by her man. And like they've been high school sweethearts and, you know, best friends. And all we get to see of her is the screaming and the obnoxious. But I don't know. I mean, I love the fact that they showed how much your people ride with you. And I think Russell's people ride with him a lot. But the problem is look at their circles compared to Russ's circle. Cousins has, you know, quarterback, coach, trainer, you know, therapist. Russ has social media, you know, you know. Jay Keeps and all of these other people, they they employ a house full of people down here in Denver. They got a whole house, Russ bought, multi-million dollar house, just so like eight people could live there. It's too many people in your circle. Like, I mean, I get needing people, but let's consolidate. And, and, and it's not even that. Let's find the right people. And I hope that Sean Payton can help him prioritize to be more authentic, to really promote what matters and that stuff that doesn't matter, your brand, that stuff will take care of itself if you win on a field. Do you think Tom Brady was authentic? Because the comparison that I'm that I'm looking at when you're talking about all the people in the house and what's going on, I'm thinking about you know, Limitless Minds, the other company that mm-hmm. he's got a part of, and then all of Sierra's stuff mm-hmm. and, and everything that goes on in their world with their other interests. I don't other believe business so. interests because yeah. Tom Brady is the only comparison with a celebrity wife That's a really with point. kids in place with TB12 yeah. with you know all of his crypto nonsense that he got tangled up but having so many other things going on in addition to football right do you think here's what he yeah. came off as authentic good question really good question you really made me think there for a second originally I would say no but we have seen moments from Brady's life that he's just one of the guys that, you know, they're going to the Derby. They're getting wasted and going to the, you know, they're doing all these different things. And while, yes, I think that was a really, really astute point you bring up because, you know, with Giselle and all that, you got to maintain an image. You got to do things a certain way. And, but Russ, Russ never accomplished half of what Tom did. I mean, Russ had the most wins over the first 10 years of his career. And, you know, all due respect to Sierra, but she isn't half the star that Giselle is. And, and, and so maybe there's a mini version of it. But I think that even, you know, in interactions with reporters, it wasn't boilerplate. It wasn't robotic. So, yes, to a degree, he was more authentic than Russ, but I can see where you're coming from. See, I wonder if I wonder if there's a bit of a confidence or um, imposter syndrome or maybe just like there there is such a focus and aspiration on on being 
Tom and Giselle, right, right, to an yeah. extent, as the comparison, or at least there was, that, yeah, like they're they're micromanaging every moment of their life, trying to be that. You miss the boat, yeah, as opposed to just authentically being who you are and still trying to achieve that goal, that status, whatever it may be. You're you're trying to manage. Right. The achievement of it. If that's yeah, yeah. part of the whole picture. Well, well, to your point, it doesn't mean that you can't have a public persona, right? You can still have that, but it, it's more but about... But you're not being yourself. You're trying to be someone else so you yeah. become them. Yeah, but you can still have a public persona while still being yourself. You can still say things that maybe you don't actually believe, but you can still be genuine when it matters. Like like when you're when you're asked a question about uh, about level of play or about your team's expectations, you can still give, you know, your boilerplate, you know, word salad jargon or you know, in the other moments, you can be more real. And I think Russ tries to be, but he has a really hard time being vulnerable. And he's not comfortable being vulnerable in public. And that's fine. You don't have to be. But you do have to be in a locker room. If you want those guys to trust you. And and, and again, moreover, moreover, you've got to back it up on the field. And that, to me, is the difference between Russ and Mahomes. Right? The credibility. The credibility, because Mahomes is the driving force to wins. Russell never was. That's why his teammates never respected all the attention that he got in Seattle. Right now he comes here, he's not even saying the right things. Mahomes is saying the right things. But Russ isn't a relatable guy. He's just not. It's it's not a slight against him. He's just not who he is. And so if I can't relate to you, Chad, and you're trying to fire me up and inspire me, I'm going, look, dude, like, that's great. Do your own thing, you know. Your team, family, let's go, you know. But for Mahomes, no, it's, it comes from a place of passion and fire, and it's genuine and authentic. It's not run or pass, you know, that crap. It's, come on, guys, let's bleep and go. You know, it's, 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 it's really digging into more of a connection that's genuine. At least that's what I thought, the authentic part of it. So, look, that's, that's a philosophical conversation that we can have coming up here. I want to talk a little bit more about the Nuggets offseason, what we expect heading into next year. I also want to address some Avs conversation with you a little bit, talk a little bit about that. Coming up on the other side, Matt Smith and Chad Andrus in on your Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan presents Matt Smith and Chad Andrus. Tell me what you really like. Baby, I can take my time. We don't ever have to fight. Just take it step by step. Matt Smith and Chad Andrus in on your Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. Kyle Reese is off today. We got somebody on the text line who doesn't understand that Giselle Bunchen is actually more famous than Sierra, which is remarkable. She's more famous than Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, it's not even remotely close. Nice. Not even remotely close. How about this on the text line? I'm so seriously tired of hearing how great Justin Herbert is. Stats don't make a quarterback great. Playoff wins do. Herb has been the beneficiary of receivers taking five-yard passes for 20 yards. Buddy, Sean, I appreciate the text. Thanks for listening. You are way off base. How how many times do I have to say Tom Brady's name in this show? So is Tom Brady throwing five-yard passes for Mm. 20 years. Yeah, well, guess what? Worked out okay. By the way, that's just not even true. Justin Herbert's receivers taking five-yard passes for 20. Keenan Allen can't stay on the field. Mike Williams can't stay on the field. Can you name me who the Chargers finished with at receiver last year? Josh Palmer. Look, you don't have to like Justin Herbert. What's the kid, DeAndre Carter? 
I you just like, I mean, come on. That's that's an absurd take. You don't have to like Justin Herbert. You don't have to respect him until he does something in the league. Count count how many teams in the NFL wouldn't trade their guy for him right now. He's about to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, by the way, because he and Joe Burrow, if it's not Burrow, he'll be second to Burrow because both of them are now eligible for mega extensions. We could see both of those take place before training camp. The way that the ball comes out of Herbert's hand is ridiculous. The arm, I mean, every his, his running ability, I mean, come on. You, after, you Mahomes, silly. after Mahomes and Herbert, how many other guys are you taking? Uh, after Mahomes and Burrow, how many other guys are you taking ahead of Herbert? I mean, the only one you could probably put in that conversation is Josh Allen. Maybe Rodgers, but I wouldn't no pick Rodgers. Rodgers. The, Allen is the only other one. And it maybe Hurts, but no, I'd, I'd much rather have Herbert, personally. So, arguably top three. Yeah. And and we did bold predictions for all 32 NFL teams when Kyle and I filled in for Stoke and Zach on Friday. That was my prediction. Herbert will finish top three in MVP voting this year. There's a lot of people that are really high on what Kellen Moore is going to be able to do for that offense now that he is the new OC out there. Now, look, we all know we all know Kellen Moore here well in Denver as Vic Fangio texted Kisley and crossed Cowboys OC off the list when we were all running Vic out of town, but... Yeah, I think that's just a, it, that's just insane, man. Justin Herbert is nuts. And, and and again, do you realize how bad of a coach Brandon Staley is? Brandon Staley is a bad head coach. Really bad. Really bad. The fact that he still has a job is laughable. Honestly, I'm surprised Sean Payton's not out in L.A. this year. That's what we all expected to happen. We went, why the hell would Sean Payton come to Denver when he'd go to L.A.? Why do you think it took so long? Why do you think it took so long for the Broncos to hire him? Yeah, because he was because waiting for that job to that, open up. That was the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's get back into some NBA talk here. Before we get into the Nuggets, there were a couple things that happened that I wanted to bring up with you and get your take on. There are a couple new rules this year in the NBA. One is the coach's challenge. Typically, if you use your coach's challenge, you don't get another one no matter what. And if you lose it, it's a technical foul. Is that right? And possession? It's no. a free throw in possession or is no, it just possession? No, it's just possession. It's just possession. Okay, all right. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. So now, now if you win the coach's challenge, it's just like the NFL. Whereas, you know, if you win one, you have another one, basically. If you win one, you get to keep it. That's essentially the change. That should be the change. That should it's be true sense. in any sport that has that challenge. Yes, it's you. you shouldn't be punished for losing your challenge because especially NBA playoff games – with the margins and the last four minutes, you shouldn't not be able to challenge a play at 337 left in the fourth quarter because one might happen in the final 90 seconds that you have to challenge. Right. The other one is flopping. The NBA's going to address flopping. Did you see any of it in the Summer League? I didn't see any bad instances because they were testing the rule at Summer League. I saw the first time it was called. Yeah. And it was missed, I think, pretty badly by the official. Okay. Um, I think they just called it because, hey, this we is gotta a new test thing. It we've got to call. Yeah. And I don't think it was in the true idea and spirit of what they were looking for. I didn't see too much of it after that. So here's the language. If a flopping penalty is assessed by game officials, the opposing team will be awarded one free throw attempt. A player who commits a flop will be charged with a non-unsportsmanlike technical foul. A player will not be ejected from a game based on flopping violations. Officials will not be required to stop live play to call a flopping violation. They can wait until the next neutral opportunity to stop play. So dead ball, media timeout, all that good stuff. I'll be interested, man, because Marcus Smart's NBA career is probably over now. 
I mean, I mean, can you even employ the guy with with a flop rule that's actually enforced him or LeBron for that matter? Dylan Brooks. Yeah, go down the list. Go down the list. I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm glad that they I'm glad that they have inserted that into the game. The next thing I would like them to address is a charge rule. Here's before I get to the charge. Here, here's the thing with the flopping is the the way officials have called the games. Flops have happened on such a high level and a consistent basis, and they've been rewarded. They they're not calling defensive fouls. They've more often rewarded the flopper. Okay, so if they continue to do that, how does this work? Do they go back on the dead ball and review, no, that shouldn't have been an offensive foul. Instead, we're going to change the call to a flop. But you've already had the play. See, the, the, the problem is the call in the first place. The problem is the initial contact and the defensive player falling and getting rewarded. And that's called too often. So if they're just not going to call that anymore, and then they're going to wait and figure out was it a flop, was it not at the next dead ball, right? If it's just there's contact, the guy fell play on, awesome, fantastic, and then maybe later assess him. That's 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 what it sounds like is okay, going to happen. That, yeah. Then that's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. They're going to do it like is, they review threes. There are way too many charges and offensive fouls called in NBA basketball. Yeah. I understand the need for them at lower levels of basketball. In the NBA, it's nonsense how often it is called, and how much the advantage is taken away from the superior player and the superior athlete. And all it does is cause injuries. That 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 was where I was going. It's extremely dangerous, the way that we have promoted it now. And I've seen it at lower levels. In college, it's almost even worse because guys are, you know, oh, that's, how you, that's there how is you nothing. There is nothing a college basketball official lives for more than to call a charge. Oh, just a big oh, bam. Oh, they, they just cannot fist. wait to call a charge. <laughs> So, so the Nuggets wrapped up Summer League last night. Hunter Tyson becoming one of the stories of Summer League, averaging 20 points for the Nuggets on 50% from three at 6'8". I mean, that's impressive, man. When you look at the overall profile of what they've done this offseason, when we look at drafting three players, Strother, Pickett, and Tyson, adding Holiday, re-signing DeAndre Jordan and Reggie Jackson, how, how do you think they fared here? I think they fared all right. Um, I don't think there's anything that's too dynamic. I don't think there's anything that, that really shifts their odds or their chances of repeating or winning multiple championships while, while Jokic is here. Um, I think it is much more of an organizational philosophy of how to sustain over an extended period than it is that we've got to go all in to repeat as champions. Mm. What's interesting about Summer League is the team focused really on making it Peyton Watson's squad and giving him the keys to everything and seeing what he could do. And he's just never, ever, ever going to be in that role on this team. So it's awkward. They gave him an opportunity to be an offensive focal point, to handle the ball, to do things that he's never, ever going to be asked to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the first two games. The last three are irrelevant. You have to look at the first two and and how they approach them. I just mean, like, they only played him two games. Right. Why why not play him him four, five? What's the difference? Because when he's not playing, it puts the other guys into different 
opportunities to show what they can do. Very accurate. When yeah. you're assessing two-way contracts, when you're assessing the Grand Rapids Gold roster, like you're you already, already know that Watson has a crack at the rotation next you, year. You already know he is going to be in your rotation, and you already know what his role is. What you saw in two games is you were putting him outside of his role mm. and taking him outside of his comfort zone to see what happened. Mm. So he's never going to do, and he's never going to be asked to do, what they had him doing in those two games. Right. Uh, yeah, that's so that's, that's a it, very fair assessment, that, Chad. The, the, the way you have to look at it is, yes, he's going to be part of the rotation. Can he provide the minutes and the defensive spark and versatility and energy that Christian Brown provided last year? And that, I think, is the expectation is he's got to be able to fill that gap and be um, a bit of a Swiss Army knife defensively and play with high energy and high motor and just try to wreak havoc, particularly on the wing as a defender. And whatever comes offensively in those minutes, is you, you take what you get. You're not going to rely on anything. That's what Peyton Watson's role will be. The rest of the guys, I think... The regular season will be spent seeing, you know, off and on, depending on who is available, who is not, night to night, what the schedule looks like as to can we put this guy in a game and what are we going to get from mm. him? Can they be eventually, whether it's this year or beyond, a 16-game player to be in a rotation of 8, 9, whatever it may be when you play in the playoffs? That That's what the regular season will be. Hunter Tyson, I think, has the leg up after summer league of saying, yes, I'm going to step in and be that guy that you can put in and you know what you're going to get. Yeah, he gets a crack at it. There's no doubt about it. You give him every opportunity you can early on in training camp and in the preseason to see if he can stick at this level. There's even a notion that, look, maybe with more space in the pro game, right, and not such a hectic environment, he may even be a better player because he's so savvy. Very impressive, and it looks like the Nuggets may have actually found a real one here with Tyson. I wanted to get your take on some of these other storylines from around the league. Damian Lillard appears to be on his way out of Portland. Now, it's felt like this, you know, for the last few summers. It's like, will he, won't he? I'm sick of hearing about it now. Do you think that Dame eventually ends up somewhere not playing for the Blazers? Absolutely. Yeah, he won't play there. He's not going to be playing there. It doesn't work. Their roster is well, all... It's never worked in the guys. past, and that hasn't stopped them so well, far. Well, I mean, they, be fair, they went to the Western Conference Finals. Okay. Um, but... They that have, was a while ago. It was, well, what, four or five seasons, four seasons ago? Okay. But the the rest of the roster doesn't work. Right. They're all 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he will be gone. It will be a enormous disappointment if the Blazers don't get something of value in return and cave and just deal strictly with Miami only. That would be an enormous disappointment. Well, it, would be a, a bad, it would be bad for the NBA. I would agree with you there. Yeah, the, the the player the player control is is higher than it's ever been. They're talking about Jalen Brown potentially commanding commanding an extension of over three hundred million dollars. And now I understand why Jason Tatum is going to Brad Stevens and saying, "Please move him to Portland for for Dame. Please do that." Portland seems like the suckers, you know, cheap enough to actually make a deal like that. Because I mean, I'd never pay Jalen Brown three hundred million dollars. Not a, not in a million years. Would I give this guy a $300 million contract and he doesn't have a left hand? You know, in the Western Conference Finals, Jalen Brown had more turnovers than assists while shooting like 16% from three in a series that Boston was favored in? That's nuts to me. You can't do that. It'll be fascinating to see where James Harden ends up as well. I don't know if you saw the most recent picture of James Harden, but he is now back to the fat suit James Harden. Dude has put on like 20 pounds. Easy. Off season. 
No, no, no. This is training This camp. is he doesn't want to be in Philly anymore, Harden. The guy is He's as immature as it gets. He's demanded three three trades in three years. Why would three you want him years? on your team? Why? Who? Who is delusional enough to convince themselves that James Harden gets them closer to a championship? That's asinine. He doesn't. He doesn't play winning basketball. He Phoenix, never has. Phoenix Suns would. Phoenix Suns would take him. Great. On what? How are they going to get him? It's not possible. I mean, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's not going to happen. I I, I I laugh at him because this is a guy who's earned over three hundred million dollars in his career, but can't go in the bathroom and look himself in the mirror. That's the type of player we're talking about. Now, I actually heard this. There was this interesting question posed on Twitter the other day. I want to ask your opinion. Would you rather have Robert Ory's career, seven rings, 50 million, or James Harden's career, 300 million, no rings? Me? Yeah. Personally? Yeah. Just a, just a question. Because I think that was the one I, I, I read that, and I was like, man. You look at three hundred million compared to fifty million; those seven rings don't really mean <laughs> don't really mean all yeah, that I, much. I would take the money. Yeah, so would I. Ty, fifty million dollars in seven rings, or would you rather have three million dollars over your career earnings? Uh personally, yeah, three hundred uh, million. Three hundred million versus fifty million and th- seven rings and seven rings. Uh, I, I take the rings, man. Okay, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm broke. Millions is millions. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I get you. Three hundred is six times fifty. But at least you have seven years of but, but those experience thing. and memories. The way I value things, the way I, the way I, right, the the way I value things, like the the memories, those are priceless. And not to mention, I, I can, I'll be set up for life with fifty million. I can retire on that. I can retire my parents on that. I can set up anyone I want with that. I can do, go into any business venture I want with just $50 million. But think of the size of the boat you could buy with 300 M's time. I mean, just think of it. You'd be sitting in the French Riviera. You'd be chilling. You'd be sipping a little vino, and you'd just be laughing. <laughs> you'd be laughing. You'd lose those rings in the ocean. Uh, nah, not really. I have them in a nice display case. I go I go way over the top. That's probably the most expensive thing I'll, I'll buy, but I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty cheap guy. I <laughs> I, I don't need a whole lot. All right. Well, I just thought it was an interesting proposition. The reason I bring it up is because, well, you can sit here and go, man, you can't look at yourself in the mirror. You're delusion. Dude's still sitting on 300 mil, Chad. I mean, it's been an impressive career. I just think it's funny. Dante, hop on real quick. Dante just walked in the studio. Would you rather have, would you rather have James Harden's career, 300 million, no rings, or would you rather have Robert Ory's career, 50 million, seven rings? You got him there, Ty? Yeah, I got it. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can um, you hear me? That's tough. I mean, the money's tough there. Right? If you take the money out, probably Ori, but... But you can't take the money out because that's the whole thing. 300 mil, no, no playoff success, or 50 mil, seven rings. But the, the 300 mil, you're going to the Hall of Fame. Am I myself Good point. or am I James Harden? You're yourself. If I'm on myself, I'll probably take James Harden's career. Mm-hmm. But it's funny though. You think I would want to be James Harden if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Totally like, makes sense. I think I would make better, like you know, I would I would spend my money in less. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't be throwing it all over the floor. James Harden does. I think that that's way. fair. I think that's fair. I just thought it was an interesting, just philosophical question when I when I saw it the other day because I I originally was like, oh my gosh, stop it, and then I was like, I don't know, that is three hundred million dollars because obviously I kind of think along the lines of Ty, those memories are priceless. But at the very same time, <laughs> that's a lot of money, Chad. I think, I think when you put the names on it, 
it skews the perspective. Okay. Because people get an image of James Harden, the type of player he is, the type of person they interpret him to be, and they think that he's not a winner or someone doesn't care about winning. Mm-hmm. But if you were to put Charles Barkley's name on it or um, John Stockton's name on it or well, whoever, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, there's the, the name associated with the $300 million makes a difference because there are a lot of guys that were incredible players, had fantastic careers, made a lot of money, and didn't win a championship. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't think anybody aspires to be or admires James Harden in being him. So the name you associate with it, I think, changes the the perspective. Nathan in Knoxville on the text line. Yeah, hold on one second. Nathan in Knoxville on the text line says, I'm taking the 50 and 7 rings because my portfolio guy can turn 50 into 300. Hook me up with your okay. portfolio well, guy. Well, what Nathan. can your portfolio guy turn 300 into? Ooh. All right, Dante, hit me. Yeah. So you're going to go Steve Nash or Andre Iguodala? You got to give me the number. You'd have to give me like career accomplishments. So two MVPs, zero titles for Nash, and whatever his career earnings got to be. What like hundred fifty million, something like that? I'd guess. Nash, yeah, probably something like that. that much. No. Who would, whose career would I rather have? Not even close to me. It's Steve Nash. Yeah, even though Iguodala does have what three rings? Yeah, and doesn't even Finals MVP. <laughs> yeah, he has a Finals MVP. <laughs> Mole, mole, mole. Sorry, I just had to say that. Whenever Iggy's name gets brought up in my head. Anyway, look, I thought it was just a fascinating conversation. Those are some of the moves that could be happening across the NBA. Across the NFL, now that's a different story. I want your take on this. DeAndre Hopkins got offered the most money by the Tennessee Titans, but the Patriots are still in the mix, and apparently so are the Chiefs. Apparently he's waiting for the Chiefs. I don't know what the Chiefs could possibly offer him, but if you're Kansas City... The argument we just had. They can offer him a, a ring when he's already made the money. But the thing is, is DeAndre Hopkins never got paid like the new the new wave of guys are getting paid. And that's what he wanted. He wanted the big contract. That's why he left Arizona, right? He was like, you know what? Screw you guys. You don't want to give me that money. I'm going to go get the bag on the open market. Surprise, surprise. Everybody was like, no, we're not doing that for a guy coming off the PED suspension last year, missing six games. I don't know. If KC finds a way to land him, should we just all take our t- take our ball and go home? I mean, that's just to me. It seems. It I mean, seems we'll, we'll go through unfair. the motions. We'll go through the motions and see if injuries happen across the league. Right. But yes. Oh yeah, you got one more. Yeah, go ahead, Dante. No, I was just saying I got the money. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. These guys. Yeah, hit me. Iguodala, I'm seeing 185. Okay. And Steve Nash, I'm seeing 144. Oh yeah, so it's no brainer. It's no brainer. Iguodala and the Finals MVP. Yeah. Well, didn't you just say Steve Nash? Yes, I did, but I didn't realize that he that Iguodala made 188 million over his career, man. But, That's nuts. But you would have had to live and play in Philly for a good portion of that. True. So true. is that worth it? I don't know. I love Nash's game. Nash was one of the most creative NBA players of all time. So as far as like a big fan of his game, then yeah. But I mean, if we're just looking at the raw numbers alone, again, to, to your point, when you bring up the names associated to that, it's just a little bit different. Yeah, so, there's something to Nash is going to be remembered in 10 years. Iguodala is not really. He's going to have the Max Kellerman meme. That's going to be Iguodala's, like, Right, he's just, candy. he was that guy. He's like, oh, yeah, Iguodala won a finals MVP. He'll be the answer to a trivia question, right? Okay, so back back to what we were talking about here with, with, with Hopkins. If Casey adds him, I think... Look, I mean, given full health and what we've seen them do, 
to not put them as a Super Bowl favorite. That they probably already are, but it, that maybe that's a move that could put you over the top when you have that type of team. Like if Denver, I've heard this from Broncos fans. Well, Dalvin Cook's on the market. Well, DeAndre Hopkins on the market. It's like yeah, that that they're not one move away, right? KC has already there. They're one move to separate. In my opinion, I mean, you add that you add Nuke to that roster. I, I just don't see slowing that offense down. I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree. Okay. Um, KC is that move away from separating further mm-hmm. from the pack in terms of winning a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But I think it applies to the Broncos. Okay. Um, I would say more with DeAndre Hopkins than with Dalvin Cook. But in terms of separating themselves from being a team that can make the playoffs as a team that is a fringe playoff team and probably not going to make it. Like, that is a separation mm. for me. Mm. That is a jump. I see I see your point. I so point. It, it depends on how, how do you value the significance of the jump. So DeAndre Hopkins makes the Broncos a playoff team without a doubt in your mind. Not without a doubt, but I would definitely lean more towards 11 Okay. 10 or 11 wins, then I am now leaning more towards like nine wins. I just can't get there because Russ is still the biggest question. Like, I, I get your point. And assuming it, you had a quarterback it, like that, then yeah. But, but here, here's, here's what they missed sorely last year and what I think they are largely still missing and have to rely on Tim Patrick for is when your quarterback isn't elite – you have to have a guy who goes and takes the ball. Tim Patrick is the only guy on the roster that does that. Who goes and gets and it. And yeah. DeAndre Hopkins does that at the elitist of elite levels True. ever. Yeah, when he came and back last year, nobody he was else phenomenal. on nobody else on the team does that. So that elevates your quarterback play significantly. Because suddenly you can throw what are deemed 50-50 balls. But in reality, with DeAndre Hopkins, they're 80-20 balls. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. I, maybe to the playoffs, yes, but Russ still has to get him the ball. And so until we see those questions answered, I just don't know if I could say it as definitively as that. But I definitely there's a lot of credence to what you're saying. There's no question about it. Coming up on the other side, we are less than 50 days away from... You'll find out next. How'd you know what I wanted to talk about, Chad? How'd you know? That was what I wanted to talk about. You guessed it. Before we get into that, though, hell of a match going on at Wimbledon right now. Alcaraz has come back. He won the second set in a tiebreaker, snapping Djokovic's streak of 15 consecutive tiebreak wins. No one has had that type of a streak since 1970 at Wimbledon. And now they are in the midst of a third set. Alcaraz leads three games to one, and Djokovic is whining. So he's really lost the momentum for the, the, the first set, obviously. But for the better part of the second set, it looked like he was still more in control yeah, I thought of the so play too. Uh-huh. and to end up losing it and now be down 3-1, this uh, this could be getting away from him. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you can see a little frustration cracking right there. I mean, look, I mean, he go down two sets to one here and lose this game. So we'll see how it plays out. Definitely something to keep an eye on throughout the morning. Rory, Rory McIlroy 
Rory McIlroy won today at the Genesis Open in Scotland, and he held off Scotty Scheffler and Robert McIntyre and all that. So I felt I felt happy to see Rory win. It's it's been a rough go for him lately. Now, look, I mean, rough when you're finishing in the top ten. I, I mean, all the time. I meant from the fact that the PGA Tour basically just said, you know, took what all this the stand that he made for them and just threw it out the window. <clears throat> Look, it doesn't matter. That's a conversation for a different day. I'm happy for Rory. Good I love for him. I love Rory. Yeah, he's a good guy, man. And he stands for some really good stuff. And he's a fun player to watch. He was absolutely striping his irons all week and pounding the driver. In fact, today, he hit the longest drive in his career, 428 yards. Pumped it. So, there you go. A year, year ago today, I was in Scotland at the Open Championship. Is that right? At St. Andrews. Is that right? Seeing Cam Smith win. Mm-hmm. Well, that's next week, so I'm looking forward to seeing the Open Championship as well. The last major of the year now, since the PGA got bumped up. But on the college football field, things are going to get rolling up in Boulder here pretty soon. We are less than 50 days away from CU football. I'm getting more and more progressively excited. We're going to blink and be at TCU here up in Fort Worth. So I wanted to know, what are your expectations this year? I mean, I... A lot of people have asked that of me, but I'm just curious. Someone else, another perspective. What are your expectations, Chad? It'll be far more exciting. Uh, I think that applies on the Bronco front, too. But I agree. Um, not going to be what you've seen over the better part of the last 10 years. There's going to be a lot of guys flying around because this team is lightning fast. I mean, super duper duper fast. But they are not as big and strong. Mm-mm. So <clears throat> what I think you were going to see is in an abundance of big plays on both sides of the field. I think with all their new faces and with all their talent, they're going to do some miraculous things that are going to wow you and make your eyes pop out of your head. And they're also going to have some scratch-your-head play mistakes where teams have big plays against them. I think you're going to see the real excitement of college football, the big plays that you don't oftentimes get in the NFL. You get huge things happening, mm. and I think you're going to see it repeatedly every week. You're going to see a lot of high-scoring affairs um, and a lot of speed all over the football field. Um, in terms of results, it's it's going to be tough sledding. It's going to be real tough sledding. Um, I've said all along that They'll win four, they'll lose four, and it's what happens in those other four games Mm. that really decides how the season goes. And if I'm being honest, I don't think that they achieved what they had hoped to achieve out of all their portal efforts in terms of up front with offensive and defensive line. Mm. And I think that's going to make things tough. I, I would say if I had to make a call on it right now, I think they'll win five games. That has been my steadfast expectation. As long as Shadour stays healthy, it'll be four to five. I'm fine with either. Really, I'm fine with either. There's going to be a lot of people upset if they don't make a bowl game this year because they've gotten themselves too hyped up for this season and have set an arbitrary standard. What is what is that? Okay, if CU wins six games, the amount that it will help in recruiting for next season, you're going to start to see those dividends that you're talking about that maybe didn't pay off this year pay off next year. Because, and fairly so, there's still a healthy amount of skepticism for what he's going to be able to get done in year one. But anything less than four with a healthy Shadur is disappointing to me. Anything more is gravy. Anything more than four to five is gravy. You make a bowl game, wonderful. 
My expectations will stay four to five, and I'll be thrilled if they get there. It's going to take a lot of work to get there. Their schedule isn't easy. The first five games of the year being at TCU, home to Nebraska, finally with a little respite, home to CSU, then you go to Oregon, then you play USC at home. That's tough, Chad. That's really tough. You're talking about two top ten teams and the national champion runner-up. The hype... I understand it, and CU is right to have pushed it to its limits and capitalized Absolutely. on it. Absolutely. But when there is not a home ticket available for Folsom Field under $115 for the whole year, like, good for you. Capitalize on the hype. Cash in where you can. What but you when you get halfway through the season – all of those tickets that are $315 minimum to get in the door for Nebraska, there are going to be a lot of $40 tickets available halfway through the well, season. That's fine, but it'll still be full. That's the difference. It is, and, and I'll say this. They had some really good crowds the last few years for teams that didn't deserve it. Not even a lick of it, right? This year, they're going to have some really good crowds for a team that's going to begin to deserve it. And it all comes down for me, Chad, to what does Shador do? Because... As we've seen, a quarterback can make or break a program. You're going to have to be able to keep him clean and protect him. And his health, I think, to me, is something I'll be watching out for because I think he took like 60 sacks the last two years. So, you know, he's got to get rid of the ball. You got to get rid of the ball quicker. And what does this new offense with Sean Lewis look like? The hyper tempo. And the one thing we talk about Shador, but people aren't talking enough about their running back room either. You got the freshman that they got to flip from Notre Dame and Dylan Edwards, they got the commit via Houston, via the transfer portal in Alton McCaskill. By the way, CU last year, 21 offensive touchdowns. McCaskill in his freshman year in 2019, 19 touchdowns. So, And they got smoke, right? And they got Cavassier smoke out of Kentucky. They absolutely do. And they got Hankerson from last year, and they got the walk-on and offered all. They actually have a talented offense. They got better up front, but you're right. I think that they may be expected just a tick more out of the portal. I mean, this is to say that they have the number one transfer class in the country, right? Like, let's get that out of the way. But it's it's all prime glitz and glamour speed. It's all receivers, running backs, cornerbacks. The highly ranked guys. It's not beef up front to control the line of scrimmage. Yeah, they got a couple of dudes at at edge rush and and linebacker that I think are going to profile kind of what you're talking about. But up front... They only have three guys up front with Power 5 starting offensive line experience. And all three of those guys, their experience is at CU. Everyone else is Group of 5 or FCS transfer. It's going to be proving grounds this year. But I can't wait, man. I'm super excited for it. Like, this is the first time I've actually highly anticipated a CU football season since maybe 2017, the year after they won the Pac-12 South and they just fell flat on their face. You know, I, I think this is the first year, gosh, Chad, and at least... 18 years, something like that, that I've actually been anticipatory of a CU season? I'm so mad at Dan Jacobs. Why is that? He has season tickets. He got season tickets. Uh, yeah, that I know, yeah. And he's going to sell the Nebraska game. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, and Dan's not a good person. Like, no, that's the thing you have to know about Josh. He, he's, he's, you know, a slime ball, you know? I, I told him, sell USC. I'm kidding, Dan, I'm kidding. But Before you got to go to Nebraska, show, first home game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's nuts. So, but he's trying to probably pay for the rest of his season tickets. with Nebraska. Is he really going to sell Nebraska? He's going to sell Nebraska. He's going to his condo and steamboat that weekend. Now, granted, he's inviting me up there to play golf that weekend. So there's, 
you know, a little bit of an olive branch. You could branch go extended. up to Steamboat and play golf whenever. You got exactly. Why Nebraska? There's, there is one who gives, first Coach Prime home game ever. Are you and going, he's to, going to sell it? Well, if I can't go to the Nebraska game, I've been begging and pleading for someone to find me a ticket to the Nebraska game. The one guy that I counted on that has them is going to sell them. He's on the air bragging about these trial wins over the summer. He can't help you out here. I mean, you know, 303 Law 4040, fresh off trial wins. I mean, Dan Jacobs is flush. So, anyway, he comes up next. Chad was sitting in for Kyle today. Thanks, buddy. He had a really good time this morning. Ah, Good luck with that. It's Judge. He's next.